And in verse 15, Luke tells us, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. So the people were waiting expectantly. They knew that a Messiah was coming. But it had been 400 years since God had sent even a prophet. Never mind the Messiah. Yet people continued to wait expectantly, trusting that God would keep his promise. And then John shows up on the scene, and he's baptizing, and he's preaching in powerful ways. And people start to think, what? Maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the Messiah. But John, as part of his call to prepare the way for Jesus, sets the record straight in verse 16. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John continues to prepare the way for the Lord by pointing out how much greater the one who's going to come after him will be. And he does that in a couple ways. First, he compares their baptisms. John's baptism is a a baptism of water. It's done as a symbolic demonstration of repentance, like of turning to God, like of having past sins washed away. And that's great. That's a great baptism. But it's nothing compared to the baptism of the one who is to come, the one that, the baptism of Jesus. Jesus will baptize, John says, with Holy Spirit and with fire. And the baptism is promised throughout the Old Testament. One very prophet promised that in the future God will pour out his Spirit on the people. And we see that promise fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And throughout the rest of the book of Acts as well, when the Holy Spirit descends on believers and dwells in everyone who believes in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And if Paul writes in Romans 8, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. So John is saying, like, look, like, the baptism of water that I offer is great and all, right? but it's nothing compared to the baptism of the one who is to come. It's nothing compared to the baptism that Jesus will offer. And John says, like, not only is Jesus' baptism going to be greater, but he's also more powerful and greater than I am. In fact, he's so much greater, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And it's a little bit hard for us to grasp like, just how radical of a statement that was in that day. Like, like people's feet in that time were gross. Like, if you spend your days walking on dirt roads that are shared with animals that take care of their business wherever they please, like, your feet are not going to be clean. Feet are disgusting. So to untie someone's sandals is a filthy act. 
In fact, it was such a filthy act. Jewish people who had Jewish slaves like, could not even require them to untie their sandals. The only people who could be required to untie sandals were non-Jewish slaves. And yet John says that the Messiah is so much greater than him that he's not even worthy of that lowest of most menial tasks. He's not worthy to be the lowest of low servants to Jesus. And yet, like, Jesus will call John like, the greatest person ever. He's like, no one greater if had ever been born of a woman. In purely human terms, like John is greater than all of us. And yet John understands that Jesus, the Messiah, was infinitely greater than he was. Like so much greater that John wasn't worthy to untie his filthy, smelling, disgusting sandals. So John gave his life to pointing away from himself and pointing to the one who was to come, right? to pointing to Jesus. And John's life was sold out to preparing the way for the Lord. Not for his own glory, not to bring glory to his own name, but for the glory of the one who was to come. So here's the question. Like, how are you doing at being like John in this way? Is your life dedicated to pointing away from yourself and pointing to Jesus? Or are you like, more concerned with your own reputation and your own status? Is your life dedicated for, to preparing the way for people to receive Jesus so that the name of Jesus can be glorified? Or are you more concerned with your own comfort, your own well-being, and your own glory? John played the unique role in the story of Jesus. We aren't called to be like him in every way. But in his desire to point away from himself and to point to Jesus, and in his desire to prepare the way for people to meet Jesus, we should absolutely seek to be like him. So then John goes about preparing the way to the Lord. He does that by preaching repentance. In verse 3, Luke tells us that John went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John preached a message of baptism, of repentance. Like the idea of repentance comes up frequently in Luke and Acts. And the idea behind repentance is that it's a picture of actively turning away from sin and turning to God. It's not just like feeling bad about your sin. It's not even just confessing your sin. It's, it's recognizing that your sin, it's recognizing your sin for what it is. That sin is not some light, trivial thing that like, you know you shouldn't do, but it's not really a big deal. Sin is not like 
cheating on a diet. Sin is holy insurrection. Sin is an effort to remove God from the throne of the universe and to install yourself as king in his place. Sin is a big deal, which is why John says in verse 7, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? That because sin is a holy insurrection, God will judge it. God will pour out His wrath against sin. And the only proper response, when we really feel the weight of sin, when we really feel how big of a deal sin is, is to turn from it, to flee from it, and to turn back to God, to flee to God. That is repentance. And so the people then come to John, they ask for concrete examples of what repentance looks like. And John gives three examples. First he says, to everyone, like anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. So like notice, like this is not a giving out of like extra abundance, right? If you have two shirts, give one away. Like, that's not giving out of like lots and lots of extra. If you have any food, he says, you should be giving it, sharing it. And then tax collector, he says, I don't collect any more than you are required to. A tax collector in this day were not like a employee of the Roman government. They were more like contractors. Right? And the Romans bid out the right to collect taxes. And so the Romans had a certain quota the tax collector had to meet, and then the tax collector got to keep anything above and beyond what he collected. And so tax collectors were motivated to collect as many taxes as they could, because anything above and beyond their quota they got to keep. But John says, like, the tax collector, collect what's required of you and not extra. And then a soldier, he says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The soldiers were often not well paid in that day. And so there was this temptation to like, extort money from people, like use their might and their power to extort and take money from people. And John says, don't do that. Be content with your pay. And all three of those examples really boil down to one thing, which is like the second great commandment, right? to love your neighbor as yourself, to treat others the way you want to be treated, to count others more significant than yourselves. And so again, like, here's the question. How are we doing at this? Are we bearing fruit, as John says, and keeping with repentance by loving others well? Or is there, is there selfishness in the way you're living your life? Is there greed? Is there materialism? Is there something you love more than God and neighbor? When we repent and we turn away from our sin and turn to God, we live lives that John, that like John, point away from ourselves and point to Jesus. 
their lives that are marked by love for others. But here's the problem. When I read passages like this, when I ask myself these questions, it's convicting. Like, like I am prone to be more concerned about my own glory and my own reputation than that of Jesus. My actions do often show that I love myself more than other people. I fall short of the standard that John sets. But thankfully, John's message doesn't end there. And John's message doesn't end with, like, you better live your life this way or you will be judged. In verse 18, we see that John proclaims good news. That John's message was not just one of judgment, it was also one of grace. In verse 18 we read, And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. The message of good news was also a part of John's ministry of preparing the way for Jesus. Because it's the, it's the message of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to live a life of perfect love for God and love for others. And he did that partly to be a model for us. But more importantly, he did that too. So that for all the times we fail, he did it on our behalf. He lived his perfect life so that by believing in him, we can be forgiven of all the times that we fail to live the life that we are called to live. By believing in Jesus, by having faith in Jesus, it must include repentance. Not because repentance is some work that we must have in order to be saved. The Bible is clear that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works. But repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. Repentance is turning from sin. Faith is turning to and trusting in and relying on Christ. And to, to truly grasp right, the goodness of the good news, we must grasp the seriousness of our sin. When we grasp the seriousness of our sin and the gracious gift that Jesus gives us of eternal life, we can't help but turn away from our sin and turn to Christ in faith. But you can't do one without the other. But I... Like, fear that sometimes I think we think we can. We think we can go on sinning because like once upon a time I prayed a prayer or I professed faith in Jesus once or I, I come to church so I can go on sinning. But I've never really repented of my sin. We go on sinning confident that like I have my get out of hell free card because I prayed a prayer once. But I never actually repent. I never actually feel the weight of my sin. So if that's you, right? maybe you've been coming to church your whole life and you've thought of like church attendance as your way to be right with God. Or maybe you're new to church. Either way, 
If you've never like really felt the weight of your sin, like seen your sin, a true rebellion against God, and repented of it, if you've never turned away from your sin and turned to Christ in faith, like trusting in Him for your forgiveness, like then my invitation is like, do that. Repent and place your faith in Him. And when you do, like, it doesn't mean you'll never struggle with sin again. The Christian life is one of continual repentance. But that repentance is done with the confidence that your past, your sin, past, present, and future have already been taken care of in Christ. And that's the good news that John proclaims. And that good news revolves around the person and work of Jesus. And so to wrap up this passage, like Luke clears the way for Jesus. Like he clears the way for the story of Jesus to shine in the rest of this book. Like up to this point in the book of Luke, right, Luke kind of alternated between stories about John and stories about Jesus. But now, like here he wraps up John's story early. Like out of chronological order, so that for the rest of the time in this book, he can focus exclusively on Jesus. Right? So in 19 and 20, we read, But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. And so like, like there's a period in time, like chronologically, that Jesus and John minister at the same time. And so Matthew and Mark, they intersperse their stories about Jesus with stories about John if they happen more chronologically. But Luke wants to be able to focus exclusively on Jesus the rest of the way. So he quick wraps up the story of John with these verses. This is one kind of final way for Luke to show us that, again, Jesus is greater than John. That John now fades out of the story so that the glory of Jesus can shine. And I'm, like, I'm looking forward to the coming weeks as we begin to really focus in on who Jesus was. We'll see like, the glory of who Jesus is displayed more and more as we go through this book. And my hope, my prayer is that as we do that, will be more and more amazed by what a great Savior Jesus is. And we'll see all the more clearly where we fall short of what He had called us to do. Where we need to repent. Where we need to trust the good news and that, that He had forgiven us of our sins. I look forward to diving into the story of Jesus with you in the coming weeks. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you that even when we sin, we fall short, when we love ourselves more than others, when we are more concerned about our glory than your glory that you have forgiven us because of Jesus, because of the one that John prepares the way for. God, when we sin, help us to repent quickly but to turn away from our sin turn back to you 
God, there's anyone here who's never acknowledged the depth of their sin, never repented of their sin and turned to you in faith, God, so that they would do that. God, we live lives that bring glory to you, that point away from ourselves and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. As we leave here today, would you go to hearing these words from 1 Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. You are dismissed.
The battle belongs to you. 